Hello and welcome to the Scottish Clans Podcast. I'm Clint Edwards, your host, and I thank you for joining me today as we discuss part two of the Battle of the Shirts, or Blarnalania. Now, before I get into that, I just want to let you know that for those of you who have reached out and made comments and left wonderful things on there, I'm first of all, I'm grateful to you, and I am seeing those comments, that feedback, and I do plan on bringing that up in the next episode. So there's a little insight into what's coming next. It'll be listener feedback. Now, don't when you see listener feedback, I sometimes if a episode doesn't have a a gripping title to suck me into it, I'll see it now. I'll I maybe skip over it. And so I'm just letting you know this because I know how I see when when I'm looking through episodes on a podcast, I'm deciding which one to listen to. Don't be bored by the title listener feedback. And maybe in the title, I'll try to throw a few pieces of what we're going to get to in that. But we are going to spend a lot of the, the, well, the, the whole next episode talking about some of the things that you guys have brought up. And it rather than being just, oh, this is kind of doesn't really have a point. It's not going where it's just rambling and people's comments. No, it is not that. It is, you are making some so some of you just write in and say, hey, keep up the good work, and I'm grateful for that. Others of you who have jumped into this a little deeper and have a little bit more background in the subject are making some really good questions, comments, insights. Some of you who don't have any background and are just getting into that are still asking some really great questions that can be used as a springboard for a great discussion. And so I'm just letting you know that your comments, your feedback is seen, it is received, and it will be handled in the next episode. And for the sake of time on this episode, I'm not going to get into any of the listener feedback. And, and so I pray that you will pardon me on that account. For those of you who are maybe one of the people who made one of those comments and looking forward to maybe a response via the episode rather than a, a written response on the Facebook page or, or otherwise. Please excuse me for that and, and we'll we'll get to it next episode. And there's actually a lot of it, so I hope I can I can handle it in in an episode. All right, so let's jump into this. I think where we left off in the last episode, well, let me say this rather than just completely starting from boom, unpause the television show and keep moving forward. Rather than doing that, I I, I want to make this part two of this, this story. I want to go into a little bit more detail and tell the story better. So I hope that you'll enjoy a little bit more detail on what is happening here between the McDonald's and the, the, uh, the Frasers and, and within the, the McDonald's of Clan Rannell. So, first of all, last episode I did not get into my sources, so I do want to make a quick note of where I'm pulling this information from. So, a lot of times, just to familiarize myself with a subject, I'll dive into the Wikipedia article. Now, in this case, let me just tell you that the, the Wikipedia article, the more I, other subjects I can, or other sources I consulted, and the fuller my picture of these events that, that I obtained, there are flaws in the Wikipedia 
story. So if all you're looking for and you want to do some subsequent reading on this is just some brief introductory skim the surface of it, just get the highlights of the story, then the Wikipedia article will be fine. But just know that there are certain parts of it that I didn't feel like told the story or gave the right information as well as it could. So here's some other sources that I found in reading on, reading up on this. Ross Cowan wrote an article in Medieval Warfare. Then, in case you're curious, it's volume 6-3, page 47 through 51. It's the, the article is called, They Fought More Like Lions Than Men. Now, that's a good article, and I can't remember where I found it. It was just in my files. That's a good article, and within that article, he mentions other sources that if you want to get into some primary... Nah, I don't know about primary sources. Anyway, he mentions other sources in that. Maybe almost primary sources, or I, rather than primary, I should say contemporary. Near contemporary sources, he does mention in there. So you might want to look into that article. Another one is the Electric Scotland article titled Ronald of the Hens, which is an interesting background story on Ronald Galda. Also, Alexander McKenzie wrote a whole book called MacDonald of, Ra- of Clan Ronald, and it was published in 1881. And that, I have a PDF. I think you can find that on archive.com. And just if you just ty- type in the title of that, you get the, the first result on a Google image, or a Google search will be, I believe, that archive.com. And you can download the PDF from that one. Now, I don't know why you would, because that one completely does not mention any of this story. I thought for sure we'd get some cool info on a whole book just on the McDonald's of Clan Ranel, because this is kind of a big event in their history, but it sure does not mention that. But if you're interested in other information on the McDonald's of Clan Ranel, then you may want to consult that source. Another source that I found was a Fraser of Lovett webpage that's actually it's a German page. So it's Fraser-of-Lovett-Germany.de. All right, and then they have within that an article on the Battle of the Shirts. And also BBC.com has an article in there called Unbuttoning the Battle of the Shirts. And so there's some information there that you might want to get. I don't know, there might have been more inform- or more sources than that that I consulted, but that's that's where I got the bulk of my information on this. All right, so let, let's let's jump into this backstory a little bit. I think where I left you off last time was where the chiefs of the Grants and the Macintoshes inform Ronald Galda and his uncle, Hugh Fraser, the third Lord Lovett, that there is a force of McDonald shadowing them on the other side of Loch Lochy. All right, so but let's let's back up and let's let's dig into this background a little bit more. So you have, and, I, and I'm not going to get into the family tree part of it. I I did that in the last episode. So if you want that, go back and if you haven't already read, listened to the last episode. But you have Yoin of Moidertach is Ronald Galda's nephew, and there's a succession issue here. So Yoin of Moidertach's you're not of Moidertach, Yoin Moidertach, John of Moidart. His father was Alastair, who was a previous chief of Clan Ranel. Alastair's brother is Ranel Galda, and he is the son of the previous chief. His, so you've got these brothers. 
I, I told you I wasn't going to do the, I just barely told you I wasn't going to do the, the whole family tree thing, but his father, Alan's second wife, Isabel Frazier, was the sister of Hugh Frazier, third Lord Lovett. All right. So you have his competing claim because he's like, I'm Alan's son. Why does the chiefship go down to Alastair's son, who Ronald Galda and the Frasers claimed was illeg- illegitimate? Now, I don't know whether he's illegitimate or not, but that's what their claim was. And so that the chiefship should have gone over to Ronald Galda. Galda meaning foreigner or stranger, not one of us, who the McDonald's of Clan Ronald may have given him that title because. He was raised in another clan, not amongst themselves. One of the sources, I can't remember which one, did say that they viewed the Frasers as lowlanders because Gaul is a... Is a that is a legitimate meaning of the word Gaul in Gaelic is, is lowlander. But in this sense, I tend to lean toward no because I, I don't think the Frasers of Lovett were lowland. They were... They, I think I believe, my understanding is that the Frasers of Lovett were as Gallic and Highland as any other the other clans that were around them, and so but rather it, the Galda nickname was that he was ra- not raised amongst that clan as Yoin of Moidertoch, Yoin Moidertoch, his nephew was raised amongst that clan, and established credibility. So he came up amongst that clan, showed his competence. He was a a very capable man. It seems like he treated the people around him well, and they were very confident in his leadership. And the and Yoin Moidertoch had, for the previous decade, so the 1530s, had worked on getting royal charters to the lands that he held. So it was no kidding officially backed up by the crown. But I don't know how, but he got sideways of James V, the king. And it being and was imprisoned by him, and James V canceled all the charter, charters, and Ronald Galda ended up getting those charters in his name to those territories. So while Yoin Moidertoch is in prison, Ronald Galda goes to Moidert and the, and the other territories that Yoin had in his possession to take those over. Now here's the problem. The kindreds there, the, the his his kindred, his his own people on his father's side, they don't acknowledge him as the, as the leader. So this just means that you can't just because you've got a crown title come in and do whatever you want. The people didn't follow him. Now, according to the Fraser of Lovett, the German Fraser of Lovett pay website, it says that when he did come into there to take over in Yoin's absence, that they did try to roll out the red carpet for him. And they were making a kind of a big deal about him coming in there. And and I think this might have been at least a token effort because we know that the kindred is following Yoin. So they're slaughtering these animals or making big feasts for him. And Ronald Galda didn't get the big deal. He's like, I, I don't, I don't, I find this kind of superfluous. This is not a. I, I'd be happy if I just had a fowl to eat, you know, just some good, some good upland game. Well, that was a, that was a bad comment to make, amongst people who are trying to show hospitality to you, where where their hearts were, you know, if their hearts are behind Yoin or Ronald, if they're willing to give him a chance. He, he kind of looked condescendingly upon these people. And that comment that he actually did make about the fowl, 
that earned him a nickname almost in a way worse than Ronald Galda, the, the foreigner. They started calling him Ronald of the Hens. <laughs> so, anyway, he, long story short there, he was rejected. He had to leave. Well, Yoin ends up making it out of prison and comes back and to assert his dominance and his head of the kindred and his leadership in that territory, he summons up a force of his own men of Clan Ranel, men from a, a related branch of the McDonald's, the McDonald's of Kepik, and the Camerons of Lochiel. And they spend quite a bit of time, one of the sources was saying more, it was actually most of the summer, completely rampaging through the Fraser of Lovett's land and the grants of Glen Morriston. Just tearing it up. And it was so bad that the Gordon, George Gordon, the fourth Earl of Huntley, who was put in in charge of this now and I'm not I'm not completely clear on how the whole government structure worked, but the Earl of Arran, who was a Hamilton, so James V has died by now. And the only thing that we've got is the infant Queen Mary. So the regent, or the guy who's taking charge of the country until the next monarch can become of age to start making decisions, that's the regent. Earl of Huntley puts George Huntley, sorry, Earl of Arran is the regent. He's a Hamilton. He puts George Gordon, the Earl of Huntley, in charge of this part of the north. So he has a personal stake. This is his stewardship, his his responsibility. So if he's got a head of one of the kindreds moving into another kindred's territory and completely laying waste to it, that's his problem to solve. So he gets up a force of his probably his own Gordons, but also in, including some Macintoshes and some the Grants and Frasers whose lands are being torn up. So you have this large force moving into the area. Now Yoin Moitertuch may have thought, well, this is a bigger force than I'm prepared to handle, so I'm going to move out. Another possibility is that the Earl of Argyle, who would be the chief of all the Campbell kindreds, another possibility is that he influenced Yoin to move out and go back, stand down, move out, go back to your territory, quiet down a little. Whichever one was the the whether the Earl of Argyle's influence was present or whether it was just the force, the superior force of the Earl of Huntley, Yoin Moitertuch stands down, moves his men out, there's no conflict. Nothing happens. Alright. So as Huntley is moving his forces back, he's okay, mission accomplished, the threats neutralized, without violence. We're going we're gonna to go back. So Huntley, along with the Grants and the McIntoshes, go back one way. Hugh Fraser, who is the third Lord Lovett, and the Gallic title for the leader of the Frasers, the chief of the Frasers, is Makimi, or the son of Simon, because Simon was a very popular name amongst the Frasers. All right, so the Frasers and Ronald Galda and whoever of, of Clan Ranel were loyal to him, they start moving back a different, a different route. So the force splits here. So the Earl of Huntley is going back with the Macintoshes and Grants one way, 
while the Frasers and whatever few people are following Ronald Galda come back another way. Now that way happens to be along Loch Lochy, which is in the Great Glen. And if you get some time, look this up on a map. The Great Glen, that's the same terrain feature that the Loch, the famous Loch Ness is in. All right, so Loch Lochy is just southwest of Loch Ness. So the Frasers and whatever members of Clan Ranel are with them are moving along Loch Lochy. All right, so they're they're headed home. All right, yeah, we showed we showed that Yoin Moiter talk. He can't just come into our territory and do whatever he wants. Well, along their route along the Loch Lochy, the chiefs of the Macintoshes and the Grants arrive and say, "Hey, I don't know if you know this or not. Do you have scouts out? Do you have men out ahead?" Looking at what's around. You've got guys on elevated position. You're doing defilade drills. Whatever. There's a force under Yoin of Moidertoch that is par- shadowing you, paralleling you on the other side of the loch. Now, if you would like the, the chiefs of, of the Grants and the Macintoshes offer, we will bring our men up, add them to yours, and we'll be, we're ready to, to get in this fight with you. Okay, now here's another lesson. Pride. How about just accepting people's help when they offer it? Because, you know, you might need it. Instead, some people never, ever like to accept help from other people. And I know people, very dear people to me like this, they're so reluctant to just accept help. Well, Hugh Fraser is going to regret this. But he was so confident that his own his own men, the Frasers, were known for having a very, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, they trained their men. Their men. It wasn't just a bunch of guys who picked up swords and trusted to their natural athletic ability and their superior gene pool and they're going to go out on the battlefield and just start tearing it up and they're, they're going to win on account of that. The Frasers were known to train their men pretty rigorously in the ways of war. They're formally, no kidding, trained soldiers. Well, he figured that'd be enough. So he turns the Grants and the Macintoshes down. I'm sure they shrugged their shoulders and thought, well, we'll see how this goes. And they, they leave. All right, so at least the Frasers and maybe a few members of Clan Rannell understand that there's a force on the other side of this loch. Maybe it was wooden enough that they, wooded enough that they could remain unseen, but eventually both forces come out and in view of each other on the, I guess you'd call it the, uh, the so the loch is a it's, a, it's kind of linear in shape, it's not round, and it, the, you could say at the northeastern shore, as you're going, so northeast toward Loch Ness, there's some low-lying swampy ground there, and that's where the, some of the argument on what the name Blarnalania means. Some people say that's not Blarnalania, it's Blarnalena, which is swampy ground, something like that. And that that's so there's competing views on what the real name of the battle is, but we're going to just for the sake of this, we're going to stick with Battle of the Shirts. Although Blarnalena would not be a a completely inaccurate description of where this battle takes place. So there's this low ground, flat ground, 
and the two forces come out on either side. Now, Hugh Frazier had detached about 100 men to, I don't know if acting as a rear guard, more like, hey, we're going to put them in reserve, and if we can't handle them by ourselves, then we'll bring them up. But if we need to retreat, these guys will secure a safe route and we can move back. Well, there's mistake number two on Hugh Fraser's part. Because the, well, I don't know if it was his mistake, but the 100 men that he detached, they went too far back and became useless. So now he's left with about 300 men. Well, when Yoin Moitertoch emerges from the other side of the lock and comes out in plain view, turns out that he's got about twice as many men as Hugh Fraser has and Ronald Galda. All right, and so here's Yoin Moitertoch's chance to show Ronald Galda and his Fraser kinsman who's really in charge of Clan Rannell, and they're going to settle this right now. And so they come out on the field of the shirts. Now, here's how the battle went. The, it starts out with archers, and the, the sources say that both sides were well-equipped with arch, archers and that they let fly with their arrows, taking out as much of the enemy as possible with them before closing the distance. Now, this is kind of a, a really interesting thing because I don't, I, I don't know how many people were actually taken out by the archers because I think the two sides were too far apart. But what did happen was Yoin Moitertuk's men run forward and his Cameron men, and I don't know if the Camerons, this means that they were providing most of the archers for Moitertuk's force, but they ran up and started retrieving arrows out of the ground. And so now they're doing another volley, but they're closer now, like almost at point-blank range. And the, art, the, the arrows have a deadly effect on the Frasers and Ronald Galda's men. So you get a bunch of men taken down there. But now the, the, force, the two forces meet. Now, look, sometimes when I talk about two forces in a feud or in a specific battle fighting each other and the losers come out one side or the other, the modern-day descendants of those people get all wound up about it. But here, so Frasers, listen up. You're going to lose this battle, but you don't need to be, I'm not, in no point in this episode am I talking poorly about the Frasers as a group. Hugh Fraser did make some bad decisions here. I've made my own bad decisions in life. But the sources say that both sides fought furiously. Do you hear that, Fraser? Frasers? Your men fought well. The two sides close. Okay, so I've already mentioned archers, but now as it comes in tight, the claymores and the Danish axes. And that's what they're called. That's what the, the sources refer to them as, the, the dense or Danish axes. And that's what they go to hacking at each other's with. Now, the two sides are, the, the Frasers are, are doing well for themselves, but keep in mind they're outnumbered two to one, all right? So if you lose a fight because there were two of them and one of you, that doesn't mean you're a wimp, okay? So this this does not reflect poorly on the Frasers necessarily. But they're backed into Loch Lochie by the superior force. And the heat of the day, armor's coming off, men are fighting in their shirts. That's what the clan legends say, and that's why they call it Blarnalania as opposed to Blarnalania. 
So they're fighting, and in fact, some of the sources say that not only do they remove their their heavier, hotter armor, but people start throwing away these longer weapons like the long swords and the Danish axes, and they just start pulling dirks, and they're just stabbing at each other because this is in tight, and it's hot, and it's furious, and it's bloody. Now, as valiantly as the Frasers fought... They, they end up losing this one. In fact, they lose big. Now, I, I could go into how many men they lost, but all the sources were different on this. Some say, oh yeah, that the uh, the Frasers were pretty much wiped out, except for like, it went down to single digits for the Frasers and for Ronald Galda's men. And that the other side was decimated too. Now let's talk about this here for a second. Some of the sources say that the Frasers, although they were wiped out, let's talk about numbers here. What numbers are they actually giving? Are they including in Hugh, of Fra- Hugh Frazier's numbers, are they talking about that there was 300 gentlemen of the clan, the Dania Wessel, or was it 300 total? One thing that Ross Cowan points out in his article in Medieval Warfare was that these each each of these upper echelon members of the clan may have had several other men in their own retinue, and so that when you when you count retainers, servants, maybe even slaves, I don't know, you you get the, the number would be much bigger. So when they say that, I don't know, there's just a lot more going on here than just hey, there was 300 of them, they're all killed, and there was another little legend that tacks onto this that that. 80 of the Fraser men left pregnant wives at home who gave all gave birth to boys and that was the salvation of the Frasers why they didn't just be extinguished as a clan. Guys, I don't know if that's true. Maybe there's some truth to it. Maybe that several future leaders of the clan, Fraser of Lovett, came from the widows of some of the men that died in this battle. I don't know if it was 80. I don't know. I'm I'm willing to keep an open mind on this. I do not think, though, that all of the Frasers were wiped out, and here's why: because, and I haven't looked at future military action on the part of the tr- the Frasers to see, like, well, look, they're still active here. But I've seen this claim made in other for other clan battles that, oh yeah, the other side was just completely annihilated and wiped out; all their guys were dead. Uh, I just. I found it to be false in other, just straight up false in other senses. So let me tell you what I'm talking about. In that episode I left you, uh, that we did, was, I don't know which episode it was a long time ago, but we were talking about the, the stewards of Appen versus basically the rest of Argyle, except for the McLarens. The McLarens were on their side. So the stewards of Appen and the guy is having the marriage and he gets ambushed by McDougals. And, well, in that force they were supposed to have been McFarlands, and somewhere, not necessarily in that initial engagement, but in a subsequent fighting that took place as part of this this whole story, it says that the McFarlands lost their entire fighting force. Well, that just isn't true because we see them very militarily active less than a generation later. So sometimes I think some of these sources are given to hyperbole, and it's just... It's just not that complete and thorough of a wipeout, as some of the sources like to say. But it does make for good storytelling. Yeah, the one side completely wiped out the other story. Now, just for the record, 
the same claim is made of Yoin Moitertuk's force that they were cut down to within like 10 men left. Well, that can't be true because they went on after this fight to do some more pillaging and plundering to the point where Gordon had to do, the, the George Gordon, the Earl of Huntley, had to do an about face. I don't know if he'd made it clear home yet. And so he left Huntley and the, the Huntley Castle and came came back this way, came back west. So if you don't know Scottish geography, the Gordons are from farther east, actually out of the mountains down in the lowlands. Um, or if he was just received word that this has happened and he's still en route and so he turns around, either way, he has to come back and and physically put a stop to Yoin Moitertach. And I'm not sure whether that in, included a physical engagement and, and violence or if him approaching was enough to get Yoin Moitertach to go back to Moitert. Either way, Yoin Moitertach is militarily active immediately after this. So there's no way that his force could have been decimated to that extent. So, and I know decimated actually has a very specific term of one in every ten, Genghis Khan and stuff like that. There, you, you get what I'm saying, right? There's no way he took that heavy of casualties and then went around with just a couple of his buddies started laying waste to the countries. I don't, I don't anyway. So, but one way or the other, one way or the other, the Frasers lost and lost big on this engagement. Once again, it's not because they were weak. It's not because they were inferior genetically or in courage or whatever silly. It's They weren't. They weren't. There were some mistakes made, and it cost them. You know, how, how would it have been different if they had the Grants and the Macintoshes fighting with them who have got proven men in the field? You go back to my Clan Hatton episode, and... The Macintoshes were very active. In fact, I'm sure that they would have been more than willing to join Hugh Fraser's force given the fact that there were Camerons on the other side. And the, this is, would have been right in the middle of about a 300-year feud between the Macintoshes and the Camerons. So to turn that down was a big mistake. But it wasn't because the Frasers were weak. They fought furiously. But eventually, Yoin Moitertach had a superior force, and they were... So let's get specific. I couldn't give you a specific number about how many Frasers were slain, but I can give you other specifics. Hugh Fraser, he was slain in the fighting. His brother James, he was slain in the fighting. And his son, um, what, was, what was his son's name? Simon. Simon, who was his oldest son, he was also slain in the fighting, as was Ronald Galda. So, Yoin Moitertach, mission accomplished. The guy that's competing for your leader, the leadership of your kindred is done, as well as most of the people who wanted to back him. So, huge victory for Yoin Moitertach and probably most of Clan Rannell, as well as the McDonald's of Kepik and the Camerons of Lochiel. Now, there is there was one legend that had the master of Lovett. Now, when you say the the master of Lovett or the master of the surname or whatever, that's talking about the 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 Tanisht, the the next person, the oldest son who's probably going to inherit the leadership. So the Simon, he was mortally wounded, but he was taken in by and I can't remember if it was Camerons or if it was Clan Rannell, members of the the opposite force. I think it was Camerons. Once again, I'm just telling this. I didn't have that information prepared because I'm just 
remembering some of the details that I'd studied but had not formally planned on sharing. But there is a, a, an account that this master of love at Simon, Hugh Fraser's oldest son, mortally wounded, was actually taken in and nursed for three days before he succumbed to his wounds, and I believe it was by the Camerons. So that's interesting, isn't it? So there's another thing you learn from this account. So that's that's it's not just the story of the fighting that's interesting. It's, it's the things that we learn from it, not just the principles that we can apply to our everyday life, like a, accepting help when you may need it, but also we learn some of these cultural things. So we here we have this sacred, sacred element, uh, this practice of hospitality. Now, you might, like maybe they took him prisoner, and he died three days later. Well, I don't know. They could have just cut his head off, but they didn't. The account says that they took him in, nursed him, but eventually he succumbed to his wounds and he died. And the sacredness of Highland hospitality, that's why I'm... And so... This goes back to a conversation. I've got one of my coworkers, Mike. Mike Sorensen, if you're listening to this, this is, uh, this is our conversation we had the other day. We, uh, we were talking. He, he was going back through some of those Campbell episodes. And, you know, why, why are the Campbells blamed so bad? Why do they, why they come out so hated by other clans? And he said, well, maybe it was because the hospitality was so sacred. And it was a violation of that. And, and yes. I do believe that that is a contributing factor to why the, the massacre of Glencoe is what we're specifically referring to, where the, the McDonald's of Glencoe had taken them in, provide hospitality, entertainment, food, room, board, whatever they needed for, for several days. And when they got the order, they just rose up and started killing people. Well, first of all, once again, let's just cover this for in a couple minutes. It wasn't, the whole force was not Campbell's, but significant leaders of the force were, and so that's how their name got started got stuck on it. All right. Point number two, as far as, as far as atrocities are concerned, so, so is it more egregious to violate the law of hospitality than it is to attack people in church or to attack people while having a wedding? In neither case are they expecting violence. You can't just let a guy get married. Well, Maybe not because John Stewart, that was getting married, this would legitimize his heir. So maybe they're trying to get in there before. I don't know, but either way. Or what about a cave or a church full of your enemies that you set on fire and then start slaughtering them as they try to leave? I don't know. I'm violating those sacred laws of hospitality was a big deal, and I'm not saying it wasn't. But the Campbells didn't have a. Uh, monopoly on atrocity and violating other things that you could view as sacred as well. Either way, the uh, how did I get off on that tangent? That was that was kind of a where did I where did I depart from this? I don't know. I don't know where I where I departed from this. But let's just try to get it back on track now. All right, we'll cut our losses. So. So Yoin stands down, and oh, here I told you I couldn't remember whether it came to violence or not. Well, here's what happened when Gordon turned around and had to come back and stop him from laying waste to the area. I do remember this. Yoin Moitertalk fled. He, he, I, once again, I'm just he was not confident that he could take Gordon's force, and so he fled to the Outer Hebrides. Now keep in mind, part of Clan Ranel territory is the Isles of North and South Uist in the Outer Hebrides, so these islands that are way off the west coast of Scotland. 
And so he was more out of reach. Well, guess who Gordon did obtain? He managed to capture the chief of the Camerons of Lochiel, and he ended up executing that guy. So the Camerons kind of took the fall for this. <laughs> and not that it's funny, but just that they got they decided to join forces here and get involved, but they're the ones kind of who paid the most heavy price, at least by the hands of the Gordons. So they lost their chief. So what happens to Yoin Moitertuch? Well, he doesn't die. Now keep in mind, this battle, if I didn't mention it earlier, takes place in July of 1544. July, right? It's hot. That's where the stuff comes off and shirts, battle the shirts. He, this, so this happens in July of 1544. Yoin Moitertuch doesn't die until, I believe, 1584. So he lives at the head of Clan Ronald for another 40 years after this. And I don't know whether he ever got those charters for his land back, but he sure enough held his, held the land. And he was, and not only did he hold it for another 40 years until his death, but the successive or the follow-on leaders of the kindred of Clan Ranel descend from him. Well, I don't know what else to say about that. You, you all are doing a great job. If you're new to this, if you're new to this podcast, the ways that you can reach out, those of you who are not new, you already know this, but the ways that you can reach out, if there's a question you have, follow-on question, maybe a detail that I left out, and you know, I don't have time to include all of the details in these stories, but I try to get to, to most of what I consider important, but if I miss something big, reach out to me if you've got a question. If you got something that completely doesn't relate to this episode, but it does relate to Scottish clans, then please, please let me know through these following channels. Facebook. The Scottish Clans Facebook is at facebook.com forward slash clans of Scotland. And there you can use, you can either make a comment on a post, like when I post the episodes on there, or you can just reach out via messenger, which is what most people do. Or you can go to Podbean. Now, you can go to podbean.com, which is my actual web host for this podcast. And there you can search for Scottish clans. I think it's podbean.com forward slash Scottish clans. But either way, if that doesn't work, do just a search on Podbean, podbean.com for Scottish clans. You'll find it that way. Or you can use the Podbean app. And you can listen to the podcast via the app on your phone, on your smartphone. And the other way you can chime in leave a review is on Apple Podcasts, which I actually found out through my statistics on the, the Podbean app. It shows me all sorts of stats and pie charts and line graphs and stuff like that. It says that most of you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts. That's the single largest platform that this podcast is listened to on. So if that's what you're listening to on this podcast you're on right now, please go on there, leave me a review, and in the comments... For the review, so that you actually leave me stars, in, in the comments is where you can also reach out. And I do read those. Once again, I know I've I had a long absence there, but I'm coming back. We finished this story, and let's, let's keep the dialogue going. That's one of my favorite things about running this podcast is the interaction with you all. So thank you so much if you've already done this. If you haven't, I look forward to seeing your comments, your reviews, questions insights. I can't wait. Next episode, that's going to be the center stage is you all and the things that you're interested in. So stay tuned. Join me next time for that episode. Until then, 
have a great day.